0: first scripture reading tonight comes from an Old Testament book, Isaiah, chapter 52, starting in verse 13, going through chapter 53, ending in verse 12. If you brought your Bibles with you, I want to invite you there. If not, um, the words will be on the screen. Hear now the word of the Lord. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter, and as a sheep before the shear is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our next scripture reading will be in Genesis.
1: Genesis 3, 6-15 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put anemone between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today full of praise and awe for your great plan of saving us from a life of sin and death. We thank you that you are a gracious God, a God who delights us and loves us beyond measure. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we confess the times that we have sinned against you with our thoughts and our actions. Lord, forgive us for the times we forget how much you love us or are unkind to others. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for all of our sins, and we know that through the blood of Jesus we are forgiven. Lord God, our sins are great and ever before us, but we are grateful that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. As we were reflecting on the sacrifice, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit we remember all that Jesus has done for us. Lord, help us to remember constantly that we have Jesus' death on the cross means that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our wounds that have conquered sin and death, which means that we can be healed. Your power lasts forever. Amen.
2: Well, good evening. If you've been with us before, you will have noticed that tonight looks a little different from our standard worship services and and how we worship on most of our Sundays. And know that that's not by accident, that's purposeful, because tonight we stand in a long, historic line of believers from all across the world for nearly 2,000 years celebrating and remembering the crucifixion of our Lord. And so things tonight will, will be heavy, there'll be moments of, of, uncomfort, um, of being uncomfortable, there'll be moments of, of silence, and I'm going to ask that we would uh, remain in that, and I also ask that you uh, promise me that you will either come back here on Sunday or you will go somewhere else on Sunday uh, where you'll get the rest of the message because uh, we're going to end tonight on a bit of an, in, an intentional cliffhanger. Because tonight we focus in on one aspect of the gospel story, the part that must come before the celebration of Resurrection Sunday. And believe me, I understand uh, that this topic is uncomfortable. I understand that leaving the church in silence later will be uncomfortable. I recognize that being asked to spend... An entire evening together in worship reflecting on our brokenness and our sinfulness and on our humanity uh, is not something that the rest of the culture is doing probably on a Friday evening. But tonight I'm going to ask you to be okay with the uncomfortable, to be willing to sit in the silence and not give in to your need to break it. Allow your mind to be active and imaginative, not about the things that normally demand your attention, but about the true story that weaves together the fabric of all of our lives. Tonight, let your heart be stilled and your mind be focused on one thing and one thing alone, the crucifixion of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, from the very beginning, we were created to be with God in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, in a state of sinless joy as we lived under the divine care and protection of the one who created it all. But those first humans took the choice that was presented to them by a loving God and instead were tempted to act as God themselves, something that they were never intended to do. And so because He is holy in His holiness and His love, God could no longer keep humans in the garden, and so He banished them. They were separated from their Creator. And yet from the time of the very first sin, God was already working together His plan for its defeat. Grant read for us a moment ago the decree that the Lord gave to Satan, that an offspring of the woman would crush his head even as it struck his heel. Now before you jump to judgment of Adam and Eve, uh, we would do well to remind ourselves that we are just as sinful as they are, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, that what is due to us uh, for our sin is death. And so Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and into an existence marked by separation and desperation and wandering and confusion and death. And the human story continues that way for a long time. The people of God go through a number of periods in their history in which they are faithful to God and then other times in which they turn away from God and worship other gods or worship created things instead of God and they face the negative consequences of those actions over and over as they continue to make the same mistakes generation after generation. They have a They have God as a never-ending source of, of refuge, of sustenance and provision, and they are called to worship Him above all else, for He alone is worthy. And instead, they look to creations of their own hands, and human leaders, and wealth, and sex, and power, and influence to satisfy them and to give their lives purpose. Now, who does that sound like? And they face a split in their empire over divisions, and then both of those parties end up being conquered and exiled by a foreign empire, and then that empire is conquered, and the exiles are sent home, and then over and over, the empire that has enslaved God's people gets overthrown by a new one, and they are found in this consistent cycle of sinfulness, of turning away from God and being oppressed by foreign empires as a result of their faithlessness. Until we find that God steps into the story in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And after He had done His public ministry for three years, He finds Himself heading towards Jerusalem in what would be the last week of His life with His disciples. And He predicts for them, He foreshadows for them His death for a third time. It says in Luke chapter 18, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock Him, insult Him, and spit on Him. They will flog Him and kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what He was talking about. His followers, Jesus' disciples, they were unable to see that the hour of the final sacrifice for humanity had come and was walking and breathing and living and talking among them. The prophets, the people that God had chosen to speak through for thousands of years, had pointed even unknowingly towards a final future day when the debt for sins, for the when the debt for the sins of all humanity would be paid. See in the times of the old covenant. In the, in the pre-Jesus days, an animal would be sacrificed in the place of a human to bear the penalty of their sin instead of them in the eyes of God. Because God is perfect and holy and there can be no relationship between Him and His people if they are defiled by sin. So the essence of their faith before Jesus came to earth was to do rituals and sacrifices and whatever it took that they might be considered holy and righteous and clean so that they could draw near to God. And because He is holy and just, a payment has always been required for sin. And from the very beginning all the way at the first sin in Genesis chapter 3, God's plan was not for His people's faithlessness to lead them into eternal condemnation, for He is a good Father. And so from the very beginning, there was a plan for redemption. God's fingerprints can be seen all over the Old Testament as He speaks through the prophets, testifying to a future day, to a fateful day, the one that we have come here today to remember. It says in Psalm 41, 6-9, through nine, that Jesus' betrayal is predicted. It says, When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely. While his heart gathers slander, then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And then as Pastor Andrew read a moment ago, the Messiah would come. It was prophesied that he would bear our iniquities, that he would be pierced and crushed For our sins, that it would be God's desire that he would be crushed as an offering, as an atonement, as payment for your sins and mine. And then finally in Psalm 22, it speaks of what was to come for this man who had traveled among the lands of the ancient Near East for the three years, preaching the arrival of the kingdom of God and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Dogs surround me a pack of villains encircles me they place they pierce my hands and my feet all my bones are on display people stare and gloat over me they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment As the disciples walked toward Jerusalem with Jesus they could not see it was hidden from them that that fateful hour that was prophesied from the times of old had already arrived After he shared a meal with his disciples, Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And the disciples were so tired that they couldn't stay awake, blissfully ignorant in their consciousness. They were able to rest, to fall asleep, but not Jesus. He prayed in the garden, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, not my will. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And his body was under so much stress as he prayed that prayer that he began to sweat blood. A real condition called hematidrosis, which can occur when someone is under immense stress. You have to wonder if he could already begin to feel the weight of the iniquities of all humanity for all time bearing down on his soul as he prayed to his father in the garden and said, Father, take this cup from me, and yet not my will, but your will be done. And he was arrested by a band of of Jewish fighters led by Judas, his former disciple. Can you imagine the king of the entire universe? Can you imagine the king of the whole universe, the one with more power than the world itself being led forward, his hands bound before him to a trial officiated by men that were created in his image. He endured a long trial that evening that ultimately culminated in him being branded a blasphemer and sent to trial before the Roman Gentile governor Pontius Pilate. And all the while they deliberated and they argued over whose responsibility it was to kill him. And he stood there silently as had been prophesied long before and he watched as his creation The one that he was invoked in bringing into existence, yelled, screamed, and mocked, and spit, and called for his blood. And finally, Pilate said, I cannot find any fault in him. Do you want me to release him to you? See, the Jews had this tradition with the Roman government that on a holy day, they would be allowed to to request that one of their people would be released from prison and given back to them. And Pilate, finding no fault in Jesus, said, would you like Jesus to be released to you? Because I can see that he is innocent And the people cry, no, give us Barabbas, a terrorist, a murderer, a rebel, a thug. His chains are undone and he walks down the platform, probably to all of his thug friends. And do you think for just a moment he turned back to Jesus to thank him for being the one that was crucified instead of him? I don't believe that he did. Barabbas was a bad guy, but at least when he ignored Jesus, he didn't know the gospel. So what excuse do I have? What excuse do we have? And the crowd, probably many of the same people who rejoiced and shouted Hosanna as Jesus rode into Jerusalem a few days before on the back of a donkey, the people who praised him, who shouted glory to his name, many of those very same people. Began to shout, crucify him, kill him. And I'm sure deep down the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were thinking, finally he won't be able to expose our sins, our hypocrisy to the people any longer. We can go back to being religious, moral, upstanding looking people that we are, feeling good about ourselves because we're educated and we go to church So the perfect, sinless Jesus is condemned and led out by a group of Roman soldiers to a whipping post. Surrounded by hundreds of Roman soldiers calling for his blood, Jesus is stripped of his clothes and tied to the post. And it was common in that day, before someone was crucified, that they should be whipped. They were brought out and they were tied to a stump and they were whipped by something called a scourge. It had multiple strands of leather, and each strand had multiple knots in it. And tied within those knots were pieces of broken pottery and metal and the bones of animals. And it was designed so that every time they cracked the whip on their back, that some of the skin would come off with it. Many people didn't even make it to the point of being crucified because they were beaten so harshly by the Roman soldiers. And as they jeered and as they cheered, as the King of Kings was beaten over and over and over again, the only thing to break the noise of their cries were the screams of the Lord himself. Then the soldiers proceeded to mock him. They took him off of the stump and they put a crown of thorns on his head, not small thorns, not rosebud thorns, real big long hawthorn type thorns. And they put it on his head and they beat it into his scalp. And then they took a purple robe, the color of royalty, and they put it on his back and they took that same stick and they gave it to him as a scepter and they kneeled down at the feet of the king of the universe and they mocked him and they said, all hail king of the Jews. Then they they took his scepter from him and they hit him with it and they beat him over and over and over. Then they took the, the purple robe, the one that had undoubtedly already begun to dry into the scabs of his back and they ripped it off of him. And they forced him to carry his cross up to a hill called Golgotha, which means the place of the school. And he was beaten so badly that he couldn't carry it up the hill, so they had to grab someone from the crowd to carry it for him. And when they reached the top of the hill, they put nails through his wrists not through his palms, because under the weight of his own body, the the nails wouldn't be able to hold him up. It would rip through his hand, and so they put it between the two bones in the wrist, and then they did the same through his crossed feet. They nailed him to a sinful piece of wood, and they raised him up. And with the open wounds on his back, Jesus Christ was forced to push himself up to exhale because in crucifixion, the joints of the person being crucified break under the weight of their body and would begin to press in on the chest, forcing a constant state of inhalation as their lungs began to fill with fluid. And so over and over and over again, he would have to push himself up through the nails in his own arms to breathe out. And once the crucified person's strength ran out, they died of suffocation because the weight of their own body bearing in on their chest would render them unable to breathe and supply their organs with oxygen. The Son of God, under that torment, cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The truth is that he could say the same about you and he could say the same about me. And the world went dark as the weight of every sin, past, present, and future, was poured out on Jesus. The very nature of sinful humanity was poured out from the Father onto the only one there who did not deserve it and yet the only one who would suffice as payment. His own Son. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became your sin and my sin in that his perfect and holy nature. For the very first time experienced the separation that is due under the penalty of sin and he took the wage of sin that is death and he experienced death in a way that no one else ever will as he took the full weight of humanity's sin for all eternity onto his own soul the spiritual death that jesus died on the cross the weight of sin for all humanity, the penalty of death that was due to me and due to you because of your sin. That death within his spirit was far worse than what the Romans could ever do to his body. And as he endured that punishment that was mine from the Father, he said, Lama, Lama, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lama sabachthani. The separation, the loneliness, the rejection, the guilt, the condemnation that were rightfully mine became his that day. And the ground shook and the sky was black. And the curtain temple was torn in two. And the perfect, sinless, holy Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And he breathed his last because of us it says in first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God if you hear the story of what Jesus of Nazareth endured on the cross And you think to yourself, there's no way that I'm bad enough. There's no way that I'm sinful enough. There's no way that I'm broken enough. That somebody needs to die for me. If that's you believing that here today, then I'm here to tell you that you're perishing. That the message of of the gospel to people who don't believe that they needed that death, those people are fools if I'm a decent person, and if I'm good enough to get into heaven on my own, if the God of the universe looks at me and says, hey, at least you're not as bad as the person sitting next to you, then the most famous death in the human history means nothing. It's only when you realize That it's your sin that put him there. That it's your sin that was poured out on him. It's your face that God saw, the Father saw as he turned his back on his own son and allowed him to be brutally murdered. It's only when you see that you're just as guilty of his death as Barabbas and Pilate and the Pharisees that you'll finally be able to step into the power of God and the salvation that's offered to you in Jesus Christ. It was your sin and it was my sin that put him there. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep telling yourself that you're basically good and that this is all just some ancient story? Are you going to continually step into the grace and power of God by admitting that you are guilty and that his blood was shed for you? What are you going to do about Jesus? We're going to invite you forward this evening with the weight of the crucifixion on your heart invite you to, to take a, a piece of wood. This isn't some holy wood. We didn't we didn't bless this wood, but we're praying now that this wood would bless you, that as you go throughout this weekend, that you would carry this with you and be reminded that it was your sin and it was my sin that put him on the cross, and yet he died in our place for the great love and the joy set before him. We're going to invite you to come forward to to spend however much time at the altar as you need to take a piece of the cross with you to reflect on what you're going to do about Jesus. And then when you return to your seats, we'll close with a brief liturgy and exit in silence as we reflect upon Christ and await the celebration of his resurrection. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we know that you say in your word that it was for the joy set before you that your son endured the cross and yet God, we don't see joy. God, in that moment we see your wrath poured out upon your son in our place. God, we see a whip going into his back. God, we see him being mocked and beaten by his own creation. Lord, we see him being led to Calvary to suffer the death that we deserved. And so, God of the universe, would you please remind us? Would you please show us our sin? Would you please demonstrate for us the love that you poured out on us? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would we be reminded that all of this, that all of this life, Lord, it hinges upon that moment in which your son hanging on a torture tool breathed his last and said, it is finished.